Good morning. Good morning. This is Gillian from Reflections. Welcome to this episode of Act Work, our fortnightly space on all things inequality, injustice, and oppression at work. I shall be your host to take you through an issue that has been on my mind for some time. But before we get into the matter, let me invite your questions, your queries, your dilemma. In fact, someone has been in touch, but I am reserving that query for next time. So use at work at restreflections.co.uk or contact at restreflections.co.uk to get in touch. And so let us get into it. So yes, what do I want to talk to you about? A combination of different things. Where we stand as an organization, where we stand sociopolitically, and where we simply are as a country, we could even say as a society, as a world. So yes, I want to talk to you a little bit about this phenomenon, this dynamic, social dynamic, we could say, that has been referred to as white lash. That's what we're doing. That's what we shall be focusing our attention on. So let me, first of all, start by a very basic definition. What do I mean by white lash? White lash essentially is a combination of two terms, right? white or whiteness and backlash and the amalgamation of those two terms, three terms if you prefer, that give us essentially the backlash that stems from the grievance, the sense of anger, the sense of frustration that originates from people that are racialized as white and that often comes from a misconstrued or a misconceived sense of displacement, a sense of social change, and that often can be seen or activated when there is some kind of perception that social advancement is being made when it comes to equality. So we are talking about reactionary politics from white groups and their implication when it comes to the socio-political landscape. So lots of anger generally, lots of frustration, lots of resentment, lots of grievance that occur when social configuration are seen to be moving, when power is perceived to be considered, when people of color, we could say, even seem to be challenging their places in the taken for granted hierarchy of race or the racialized or stratification, we might say, of society. So essentially, this is what we are talking about when I am talking about certainly about white lash and the expression we owe to American, African-American journalist Van Jones, 
we were saying live on air to comment during the first election of President Trump, what he described as a white lie towards a changing country. So the country, and really we're talking about white America, coming together to essentially reject what had been seen as a liberalization of America through the two term that Obama served as president. Now, I discussed that in a little bit more depth in White Minds for people who are interested. I might not have read the book, but I guess what I want us to focus on is the idea that there is a group level, a collective level, a sense of grievance because white society, white group deem that they are threatened existentially, really. Uh, but the bulk of that sense of existential dread, we might say, comes about because there is an ongoing sense of economic, we might say, precarity. So there's a change in terms of power configuration. That change give rise to sense of precariousness and that sense of precariousness give rise to people coming together and wanting to stop, right? To push back, to put in place, block to anything that is equality related, more regressive policies, to go back to some kind of nostalgic times where things were more advantages to them, even if it is only um, a fantasy. And so that's what we get sometimes in absurd situation where the white working class might even vote against their own class interest under the illusion that they might, in doing so, protect their race-based interests, right? So safeguard jobs that might be at risk from migrants or from people of color who might be getting all the position of power or who the government, the state might be seeking to protect or to advantage through DNI and adjacent policies. So, so those kind of twisted logics lay at the core of white lash. So once more, we are here because we want to think about the implication for the workplace. And again, as I like to remind people as a group analytic thinker, the foundational premise is that whatever happens at social level, so we would call that the foundation matrix whatever happened at social level or in the foundation matrix is bound to be mirrored or replicated within institutions. So within the way that we interact, within the way that we communicate. So we would call that perhaps the dynamic matrix or even the institutional matrix. This is a little bit of group analytic terminology and a little bit of group analytic thinking, but it is very useful thinking. It's thinking that I tend to draw a lot from to help people understand that whatever happens also politically is not just happening out there, 
and that bears no relevance to the way that organization functions as organism. It penetrates the very ways that people are going to treat one another, that people are going to see one another, the way that people are going to experience the workplace as a result. Therefore, the experience, the outcome, and the processes within institution are going to be fundamentally linked to sociopolitical events happening, etc. And so that's why I'm making the link. And I wanted to draw back on white lash because we are, what, something like four years? I mean, in, in three, four months or so in May 2024, yes, about four months, just under four months, it would be four years, I think, since the murder of George Floyd. That's important because it has been one of those events which shaped the consciousness of a number of organizations when it came to their commitment to anti-racism, when it came to their commitment to taking up equality pledges. And so we need to ask ourselves what has changed, if anything at all, and what has changed for the better or for the worse. Hence why I circled back on white lash, because I think, and as a number of commentators and, and scholars have been noted, I think for the past at least 18 months, if not 24, 24 months, that there was an period post George Floyd, when people's motivation, commitment, dedication to the anti-racism cause could be felt and money and investment and time and resources were put into tackling racial injustice and adjacent axes of oppression. And that fell through slowly and then more quickly. And then you would have thought that we returned to baseline. I would argue that we did not return to baseline because of white lash. In fact, where we are now, we could argue is in a worse place than where we were pre-George Floyd because of that dynamic of white lash, where there has been significant, significant pushback against matters of racial justice in particular, but not uniquely matters of racial justice and anti-racism. We've also seen a lot of regressive and reactionary politics, of course. I mean, you just have to watch the news to see what's happening in relation to trans rights. You just have to watch the news to see what's happening in relation to gender equality. You just have to watch the news to see what is happening in relation to LGBT rights, uh, to see what's happening in relation to disability, and to see what's happening in relation to poverty and to people on benefit and to migrants, of course, to migrants. And so it's very clear that although we might have started with race, um, possibly migrants, there might have been the site, the initial site onto which this struggle, this backlash, this white lash originated from. And so Black Lives Matter, we could say, acted as a 
factor onto which to push back progressive policies and social justice agenda. Clearly, it hasn't been restricted on that level because it has expanded across all axes of oppression or identities. And so what that means for the workplace? I mean, I remember a few years ago, I started noticing when people were asked to attend anti-racism that there were really already some strong pushback within organizations, some really violent dynamic happening within training. It was still, I'd say, the exception rather than the rule, but it wasn't uncommon. And certainly at the time, I was thinking that this was announcing something to come, that people felt quite confident to be brazen about their opposition, about their quite discriminatory and at times quite openly racist view in a training context, I thought that announced something to come. And that's something has come. As a trainer and as quite an experienced trainer, I don't shy away. And in fact, I would rather people put on the table where they are at. But there is a difference between people putting on the table where they are at as a, I guess, an invitation to discuss, to be challenged, to be open in terms of learning and to be open to the possibility of being changed by way of view and by way of position and to put something that is quite problematic and not expected to be changed and to be challenged, right? Almost as an act of defiance of my expertise or as a way of defiance of my position or positionality, almost as a dare. And so there was a few days that I thought was announcing something. Now, I haven't had that before. If I go back in time and I've been training for 20 odd years, and if I go back in time, this kind of dare, I haven't had that um, other than over the past, I'd say, mm, two, three years. So I knew that there was something qualitatively different that was common. If you read my work and if you follow my thinking, I am a great believer in paying attention to the interpersonal, right? To, so what group analysts might say, uh, the dynamic matrix, because all the matrix, all the contexts we might say are interlinked. So what happened in one context says something about a different context. And so therefore tells us um, something of importance. So we need to pay attention. So I always pay attention to what happened in one context and uh, particularly if it parallels something else. So I was paying attention, of course, and my guts was like, mm, there's something there that is in some way premonitory, if that's a term. Yes, it is a term of what is to come. And I think what was to come was simply the white lash. 
I think what is to be done is a very complex question. And again, it's a question that I would like us to continue to, to think about together and to talk about. But I would say this, that we need to talk about this dynamic. We need to talk about the context that we are in. I think that by way of funding ourselves and by way of business, I think things have shifted quite drastically in terms of the source of our revenue. And I think it says something about that context, about that white lash as well. So I would say that we're not the most precarious of organization, even though the future as a small social enterprise that is quite radical, that's kind of pushed the boundary a little bit when it comes to thinking a lot. In fact, we always have to think about sustainability. There's no getting away from that. And sustainability for us is a matter of getting the training in, the members in, and people supporting our work. That's just the nature of it. You know, I knew that it was the animal that I would be dealing with when I set up race reflection. You know, if I wanted stability of income, I'd be working for someone else. And if I wanted a bit more security, I wouldn't be doing radical work. It's the nature of the base. But nonetheless, with the white lash has come an additional layer of insecurity. And not only for risk reflection, actually, there are plenty of concerns and there's plenty of business out there that have gone out of business in the past three, four years. There are plenty. And I think there was a, there was a, a report. I'll try to dig it. There was a report. It might have come from the United States, but there was a report on the number of DNI and equality related job that had been Axed <laughs> in the past like two or three years post George Floyd and post BLM and all the pledges that had been done. So it is serious. We're not only talking here about perception, quote unquote, impression, lived experience, even all of these things matter. We're also talking about hard, solid, quantifiable data here. We're talking about job being lost. We're talking about organization going bust because society, white society, are saying we've had enough of this equality, of this race equality, of this anti-racism, of this Black Lives Matter. We've had enough. We want to go back, right? We want to go back as far as we can. Thank you very much. And that is white lies. And so those attitudes, those societal attitudes have impact in terms of precariousness for individual, for organization, for partners that you are going to work with. And they are also going to have an impact on employees of color, of course, and they're going to have an impact on the conversation that you're able or not able to have in the workplace. So the only thing that I would say to leave you with something is be alert, review your commitment, your pledges, what you said you were setting out to do. Try as far as is possible to work with the smaller organization, with the independent consultant, those whose future is more precarious because of the nature of their work or because they push the boundary of the way that we think about equality and injustice and oppression. Those are the business, are the people, are the consultancy that are more likely to challenge the status quo and so therefore 
to lead us to change that are also the most likely not to survive white lash period. Thank you very much for listening, my good people. And as always, please take care. Subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to send us queries, questions and dilemmas to be reflected on, please email at work at racereflections.co.uk.